one constant through all the years, Ray. Beyond the game. The ladies are digging my sweet bass. That's the dumbest thing I could think of. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. You like that? You like that? That is a career ender, just like this show. You're already famous in Rochester, but watch out world. It's a faith-based sports radio program. We would be honored if you would join us. From Rochester, New York, this is the Beyond the Game program. I'm Rick Benson, and joining me is this city's number one producer in all of faith-based sports radio, Zach Barletta. We invite you to keep up with us, the Beyond the Game program, on Twitter, at BTG Program. You can also find us Instagram, Facebook, by that same name, or stop by our website, btgprogram.com. You can find more information about the program, about the hosts. You can see Zach's marvelous beard. You can subscribe to our podcast or even listen to previous broadcasts all right there, btgprogram.com. Good to be back in the big chair after a week off. Of course, I left Zach and his brother Spencer alone with the studio, and what do they do? They talk fantasy sports for half the show. I apologize to all our regular listeners. Good night, man. Why didn't you just hold your draft on the air? What were you thinking? Now, I know you say people are into fantasy sports, and certainly the millions of dollars spent annually would suggest you're right. Sirius XM even has a channel dedicated to it. But, man, I just, I don't, what is it that you enjoy about fantasy sports? Uh, I don't know. If it's the competition, if it's the, um, I love putting in the hours of preparation and then sometimes being proved right. Man, I don't have to be putting in hours of preparation to get proved right. That just comes naturally. <laughs> That's why you're in the picture. I, you know, I never I never got into it. I wanted to. I, one time I played throughout the season. My wife's family put together a fantasy league, and, and I got into it, and I actually played for the year. But how many, that's the only time. I've signed up for millions of these leagues. How many times have I signed up? With, you stopped asking me. You don't even ask me anymore because <laughs> I would sign up. And then I would never, I'd never change the roster. I stopped roster. asking you because you played in one of my fantasy hockey leagues, auto-drafted, never touched your roster, and finished in second place. It made me furious. Yeah, I think so I that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and enough about how you screwed up last week's show. Let's get on to this week's broadcast. Coming up today on today's show, Sarah Smith's going to join us a little later in the program. She's the head coach of the brand-new Roberts Wesleyan College D2 swim team, both the men's and women's program. We'll talk to her about what it takes to build a college program from the ground up, plus David Price and the Red Sox. Well, I can't say and the Red Sox. David Price is a clown. Easy for me to say as a Yankees fan, but an old friend of mine used to say that there's no sense being stupid unless you're going to show people. And apparently Price and a few few of his teammates live by that mantra. We'll do some shenanigans. Zach went overload on shenanigans. He's got a bunch of statements he wants to make as well as what you what we like this week. We're going to tell you all about that, all coming up today on the Beyond the Game program. I hope you'll stick around, spend the next 55 minutes or so with us, with Zach Barletta. I'm Rick Benson. We're going to be right back right after this short break. Do you know a high school athlete looking for a D2 college? Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts Wesleyan College, where athletics are fundamental to our commitment to educate for character. 
Our athletic program is strong and getting stronger every year. We offer 17 varsity sports, from lacrosse and basketball to track and field and soccer, and the only Division II athletic program in the area. Tell the young athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. Hey, it's Zach. If you're a fan of Unsolved Mysteries, Mythical Monsters, Murder Whodunits, or just podcasts in general, check out my other show, The Myths and Mysteries Podcast. Every two weeks, my brother Spencer and I tell fascinating stories about topics like the Bermuda Triangle, JFK's assassination, chupacabras, serial killers, and more. You can find us by searching for Myths and Mysteries on iTunes or Google Play or on our website, mythsandmysteriespod.com. Don't forget to click subscribe and leave us a review to let us know what you think. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Myths Podcast. So go check out the Myths and Mysteries podcast, and we'll see you next time. Rick Benson along with Zach Barletta. This is the Beyond the Game program coming to you from the BTG studios in Rochester, New York. BTGprogram.com or at BTG program. We welcome in those who may be listening from Rosthern, Saskatchewan. Now you're just making up words. <laughs> Saskatchewan, Canada, one of the top locations for most international downloads of the BTG podcast the last few weeks. Rosthern, Saskatchewan, by the way, the childhood home of former NHL brothers Robin and Richie Regeer. Robin having spent some time with the Buffalo Sabres, just one lake to our west. Mm-hmm. But we also say good morning to Tulsa, Oklahoma who are in this week's top spot in the domestic downloads of the podcast. So many good things to be said about the great city of Tulsa, the home of Oral Roberts University, the birthplace of Route 66. Tulsa's own Cyrus Avery earned the nickname Father of Route 66 by establishing the U.S. Highway 66 Association, creating a road to link Chicago to Los Angeles. The famous Meadow Gold sign greets those passing by Tulsa. On that famous stretch of road, as well as the Blue Whale of Catoosa, just outside Tulsa. The home of KVOO Radio, which of course housed the noontime show of Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys back in the 30s. The band setting up shop at Tulsa's famous Kane's Ballroom for many years. Waylon Jennings so accurately said it in his song, Bob Wills is Still the King covered by the Rolling Stones, a whole host of others. Tulsa is also the birthplace of legendary radio voice Paul Harvey, and I think we've got Gonads some. Gonads are useful for their purpose, but they are no substitute for brains. The great Paul Harvey. One of the great, all-time great love stories. Paul Harvey married his wife Lynn in 1940. They were together until her death in 2008. Wow. Worked together. Lynn Harvey was the first producer actually inducted into the Radio Hall of Fame. The first lady of radio. She spent 60 years in radio, and she produced her husband's Rest of the Story feature. That great thing that really, you know. But now you know the rest of the story. That's incredible. That really is. She developed many of those stories herself. So Lynn Harvey. What else are you going to do living in Oklahoma? Nathan Hale High School in Tulsa, Oklahoma, responsible for turning out the great actor Gary Busey. Now that guy's a little loopy. He's an interesting character. Trucky Wheeler from a very short-lived series in the mid-70s. The Texas Wheelers. It lasted all of about one season. But Busey played the son of Jack Elam's character. Now, you may not recognize Jack Elam's name, but you no. would know him by sight. He had a very unique-looking eye. He was in 
dozens and dozens and dozens of movies and TV shows, a lot of westerns. But playing Busey's brother on that show was Mark Hamill, who would shortly thereafter would become one of the most famous Jedi of all time. I did not know that. Tulsa, Oklahoma, KCFO 970 AM, Spirit 105.7, and KXOJ 94.1, all Christian stations, all in Tulsa, all not carrying the Beyond the Game program, <laughs> despite the show being the country's number one faith-based sports talk radio program, as determined by a recent survey of Zach and myself. <laughs> One more thing about Tulsa, and then I guess we've said enough. Believe it or not, Tulsa, Oklahoma, you can find many terrific Coney Island hot dog shops in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Why? I have no idea. My wife and daughter and I, we like to hit up the Sonic after 8 p.m., take advantage of the half-price milkshakes. I mean, the three of us can get milkshakes for like six bucks, you know, yeah. as long as you do it after 8 o'clock. You're irresponsible not to go. But I, I think that's exactly right. It would be. So we go. The other night we went, I got one of their pretzel dogs. Have you had it yet? I haven't, no. Do you like the hot dog? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got this. I don't think it's a sandwich, but I do like it. This this pretzel hot dog by the Sonic, a little, this was a little slice of heaven, I can tell you. I was just telling my family the other night when we were at the Sonic that I've always loved a good hot dog, but it's as though this summer my romance with the hot dog has been rekindled. I've had maybe two burgers all year long. Every time I'm opting for the hot dog. When I was down home in the Catskills, of course, down there, it's the Sabret hot dog that's famous. Mm -hmm. I had about a dozen of them, and I was only there <laughs> three or four days. But everybody's partial to the hot dog you grew up with, kind of like potato salad. You like your family's recipe for potato salad. You don't really care for anybody else's. Everybody else's is crap. You like your family's potato salad. Well, here in, in western New York, you're, you like the Schweigels, or if you're further out in Buffalo, then, then you like the Salins, but... I'm partial to the Sabret, and I mean no respect to Zweigels or Salins. I like both those hot dogs, but something about the sub, the snap of a Sabret hot dog. Put a little onion sauce, a little meat sauce. Is that what you named your son Brett after? <laughs> <laughs> no. Not, not as far as anybody knows. Thank you, Saskatchewan. Thank you, Tulsa, wherever you may be listening. We thank you as well for your support. You can subscribe to the Beyond the Game podcast. Have it sent to your device every week. Simply search for us on iTunes or visit our website, btgprogram.com. So it was reported earlier this week, Zach, maybe it was late last week, pitcher David Price had a bit of a disagreement with Hall of Famer, <laughs> former Red That's Sox pitcher, current broadcaster Dennis Eckersley on the team plane. Apparently, Price didn't like something that Eckersley had said on the air about another player, much like the way he played. Eckersley... He he comes right at you. He's opinionated. He says whatever's on his mind. And over the course of his broadcasting career, he's frosted the few fannies of a number of players along the way. Of course, he's filling in currently for Jerry Remy, who's dealing with recurrence of lung cancer. But this isn't somebody who does not have a frame of reference for the game of baseball. Right. This is Dennis Eckersley. He's a Hall of Fame pitcher. It's not somebody who just went to broadcasting school, mm -hmm. you know, never played at the professional level. This is Dennis Eckersley. And isn't that what you hear players complain about sometimes? Well, the broadcaster, he, do he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's never played the game. Right. This isn't that. This is a guy who played it and played it pretty darn well. At an well. elite level for a long time. Yeah, he's among the best to have ever done it since he's enshrined at Cooperstown. I think David Price must not be familiar with the law that says 
If you have a boss mustache like Dennis Eckersley, you can say whatever you want. <laughs> According to Dan Shaughnessy of the Boston Globe, Price took issue with Eckersley saying, yuck, referring to Eduardo Rodriguez's stats as they were displayed on a television screen after Rodriguez made a minor league rehab start at AA Portland, a start in which he allowed six runs, nine hits, in just three innings. And remember, this was against minor league hitters, double-A minor league hitters. Yeah, yuck. Yuck. I think yuck is probably being pretty kind, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. The story seems to be that Price was standing somewhere in the middle of the plane with a group of teammates around him. So they're waiting for Eckersley to go by, which naturally he would because broadcasters sit in the back of the team planes. So I'm picturing in my mind some type of ambush as they're sitting there waiting for this guy. what it sounds like if you read it. Yeah. So as Eckersley near, Price blocks his path like a little kid and shouts, here he is, the greatest pitcher who ever lived. This game is easy for him. And, of course, Price is a big deal player. I mean, he's David Price. He's a big deal player. Mm -hmm. So I'm picturing all these little players around him, little deal players, who just want to be accepted, want to be, you know, given approval by the big dog. So they're all applauding his moronic behavior. And then the, re- the report says that when Eckersley tried to give his side of the story, kind of explain where he was coming from, Price simply told him to get the blank out of here, which he says again a little while later when Eckersley goes to the front of the plane to talk to somebody and then on his way back, he ends up saying the same thing, get the blank out of here. Now, I, you know, I love bashing the Red Sox. But to be quite honest, apart from that one David Ortiz segment we did a month or two or three ago, mm-hmm. It's been hard because I think they've assembled a pretty classy group of guys here in Boston. I, you know, I, I, I'm a Yankees fan, but I kind of like the team they have. I like the guys on it. But this brings us back to the good old days when Red Sox players make it so easy to dislike mm-hmm. them. You know, like when their catcher gets all tough guy when he's wearing a mask and full gear and decides he wants to get in somebody's face pandering to the home crowd. I think you know the situation I'm talking about. Yeah, I think we just celebrated the anniversary of that this week. Yeah, that's right. You made a tweet about that, didn't you? Yeah, I saw that. There are two types of people who block somebody's path by standing in their way, taunting them. Immature child and bullies. And David Price was being both. Because a broadcaster said about six runs, five of which were earned, on nine hits and three innings because a broadcaster said that was yuck. As if bullying a broadcaster doesn't make a player look ridiculous already. Price goes next level stupid. When he was asked the next day about the incident, he said, quote, some people just don't understand how hard this game is. The guy you're talking about is a Hall of Famer. What doesn't he understand? Yeah. In fact, Eckersley is a guy who succeeded both as a starter and as a reliever. I'm guessing that he probably understands more about pitching than most pitchers. Mm-hmm. And he pitched into a very advanced age. I would say probably the last few years it was very hard for him. You just don't see players, you know, getting all that worked up about something they said in the media. You know, they know it comes with the territory, but when they do, they usually pick their spots And it's usually about something a little bit more significant or a little bit more harsh than calling someone's stats yuck. Red Sox manager John Farrell confirmed the incident, said that it was being handled internally. Of course, you know, company line. Mm -hmm. The Boston Globe reports that Price met with Farrell and Red Sox president Dave Dombrowski and that even team owner John Henry and chairman Tom Werner have all tried to resolve this situation. Yet no public apology has been given to Eckersley. 
Farrell would only say that the Red Sox have moved on and our focus is on winning games. Classy. Mm-hmm. In fact, when asked on a Boston area radio program if he had personally apologized to Eckersley, Farrell responded, yeah, that's a no. Now, Eckersley's not traveling with the Red Sox on this current West Coast trip they're on. He isn't expected to be with the team on the road anytime in the near future, so maybe there'll be time for time for this whole thing to, to calm down, but Price is a bit of a piece of work. He seems ultra-sensitive. I mean, it was only a month ago that he said he wasn't going to speak anymore on days that he doesn't pitch. So in other words, he's only going to speak to the media when he has to. Mm-hmm. He, he had He's had other incidents with reporters, specifically following a game in New York even earlier this year. Now, it seems to me, don't you think there has to be more to this? Like Price, for Price to get so worked up over him saying yuck about Eduardo Rodriguez, mm-hmm. seems to me there's more to it. Like he had to have been upset about something Eckersley may have said about him, although it looks too self-serving if you're going to approach Eckersley on your own behalf. So he makes looks more heroic if he's defending Rodriguez. And didn't when Price was with the Blue Jays for a half season, didn't they have an issue with the media where they had pictures hung up in the locker room of which media people they could and couldn't talk to? Yes, because if that if that's yes, when he was right. on the team, now you have a pattern of things that follow him around. Yeah, you're right. I, let Rodriguez handle his own situation. He's a grown man; he can do it. That's the thing that really jumped out at me too. Besides just the the idiocy of the situation, is he's not even the guy that the comments were made about. The guy that he made the comments about hasn't said anything that I know of. I haven't seen any comments from him either. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 and 16 says, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If Price was so bothered by something Eckersley said about Rodriguez, what he should do was was go to Eckersley, go to him and try to get it right without making a scene, without trying to intimidate someone into relenting their positions. There's better ways than trying to bully somebody. Go to the other person, try to get it right. And then if that doesn't work, go to them again, but this time take another person with you, not confrontationally, but, you know, with a real concern, a real motive to try to get it right. You know, look, if they still don't come around, that other person— at least you got one or two witnesses there who said, well, they can verify that you tried. Mm-hmm. By the way, those witnesses may, they may actually see that you have some fault in the situation. And, you know, we should be prepared to receive that if that's, you know, if, if we're following this biblical way of handling conflict and, and we take these witnesses and they say, you know what, you have a little fault here. Well, be prepared to hear that. This is where humility goes hand-in-hand hand with trying to get our pride under control. And I suspect had David Price done this, somebody, somebody would have had at least half a sense to have suggested, maybe you're overreacting here, David. All he said was, yuck, it really isn't worth getting all that hot and bothered over. Especially since, as we both said, it wasn't even about him for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. Always private before public. People... People like to complain about things because it's actually easier to complain about it than discussing it with that other person. Remember, forgiveness and restoration is the goal. But too often, people are like Jonah. You know, we're angry. We, we just want to see the opponent or, or the person on the other side of the conflict embarrassed, humiliated. We want to see them relent. Jonah, want, did he, you know, he just wanted to see judgment on Nineveh. 
He didn't want to see them repent and turn to God. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Like many of us, when we're involved in a disagreement or in a conflict, David Price was only concerned with coming out on top. For him to say that Eckersley, of Eckersley, that some people just don't understand how hard the game is, well, that just proves he really didn't care anything about Eckersley because he does understand how hard the game is. Mm -hmm. There was no humility of mind. He definitely wasn't regarding Eckersley as more important than, than himself. And I think we can... We can diffuse nearly every situation if we follow that advice found there in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. When we approach a disagreement, when we approach it with humility, we view the other person and their feelings as more important than our own, resolution is generally pretty quickly resolved. Now, I'm not saying they're going to end up agreeing with you. I'm not saying you're going to get your way. But you are more prepared to disagree peaceably if that should be the ultimate a- outcome. We must always be prepared to seek forgiveness, not not only to seek forgiveness, but to grant forgiveness. Yes, we should look for that, but we should also be prepared to give it. Matthew chapter 18, Peter asked the Lord how often one needs to grant forgiveness. Seven? And in, verses, uh, in verse 22 of chapter 18, which we just read a little bit a little ago from chapter 18, Jesus says, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. In other words, you just keep forgiven as long as they keep asking. And remember what the Bible says in James chapter 4. Of course, that passage speaking specifically of conflicts within a Christian community, you know, within the church, but it's always good to take pause and kind of see, man, what is the real root of this problem? Could it be my pride? Could the conflict be me wanting my own way? Could it be that I have some lack of understanding? James 4.1 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? That there's something within you that you want passionately more than you're concerned with the other person? It's a good chapter to end this discussion on, really to resolve conflicts. More often than not, we only need to examine our own side of the situation if resolution is truly what we seek, then what we need to do is humble ourselves. Four basic steps, four basic steps outlined in James chapter 4. The first one in the first three verses, you see that uh, to resolve conflicts, we should judge our own selfish motives. How am I being selfish here? There's probably some selfishness on my own part. In the next three verses, verses 4 to 6, there's the instruction to stop chasing after our own desires and instead look for God's grace. To resolve conflicts, the third step outlined in James chapter 4 is to submit to God, resist the devil, and repent of sin. And the fourth one is pretty simple. Stop judging others. Submit yourself to God's will. Inside the church, with inside the Christian community, there really should be no conflict at all. David Guzik says this, No two believers, both walking in the Spirit of God towards each other, can live with wars and fights among themselves. If you're truly out there living for Christ, being a, walking in the Spirit of God, there's no way you and I can be at a quarrel because we both have the same thing in mind. With Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. This is the Beyond the Game program. We'll be back right after this short break. Hey, it's Zach. 
If you're a fan of unsolved mysteries, mythical monsters, murder whodunits, or just podcasts in general, check out my other show, The Myths and Mysteries Podcast. Every two weeks, my brother Spencer and I tell fascinating stories about topics like the Bermuda Triangle, JFK's assassination, chupacabras, serial killers, and more. You can find us by searching for Myths and Mysteries on iTunes or Google Play or on our website, mythsandmysteriespod.com. Don't forget to click subscribe and leave us a review to let us know what you think. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Myths Podcast. So go check out the Myths and Mysteries podcast, and we'll see you next time. Do you know a high school athlete looking for a D2 college? Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts Wesleyan College. We're proud to be a serious athletic school with great opportunities for serious athletes. In fact, we have the only Division II athletic program in the area. Our many varsity programs range from basketball, tennis, and cross country to track and field, golf, volleyball, and soccer. Tell the young athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. Joining us now is Sarah Smith. Sarah is the inaugural head coach of Roberts Wesleyan College's brand new swim program. She'll be responsible for overseeing both the men's and women's swim programs as they move closer toward their very first season of competition. Thanks so much, Sarah, for coming on the program and joining us today. No problem at all. You know, they've had a pool there at Roberts for a number of years, but now they're introducing swimming as an intercollegiate sport for the very first time this coming fall from what I understand, just the third Christian college in the Northeast to offer the sport. When Roberts named you the program's first head coach, what was the first thing you did? Well, collegiate coaching has always been a very long-term goal of mine. And uh, so when I when I was named the head coach and accepted the, the job, I reached out to some of those in, people in my life who have helped me to get where I am Um um, as far as like my parents and my husband and then some coaches that have kind of developed me over the years. Um, and then after that, I measured the pool to make sure that it was the right length because <laughs> there has been a long-term rumor that it maybe is too short. I've heard that rumor. Is is it true or is it false? It is definitely false. We have all of the drawings and the measurements that it is 25 yards per per the rule book. Terrific. I heard it was long enough to compete, but something about it couldn't be used for records. I think that was the rumor as I heard it, but I'm glad to know that that's false. Yep. Yeah. So it definitely is false, which is very good for our first season. (laughs) Now, obviously, starting a Deep 2 program from scratch, I mean, it's got to be a daunting task. What's your strategy? Where do you start putting those pieces together? Um, so one of the first things I did was develop a um, a business plan of sorts for the program and put it all on paper um, in kind of chart format. And once I had that, I was able to see what, what components of the program um, I already have um, as far as some support at Roberts, what components I'm missing. Um, and this was all the way from recruiting the team, the facilities, the equipment, marketing, um, and everything in between. And so... Um, it is. It can definitely, when you think about it, be daunting. But once you have the plans on paper, um, I have a pretty good strategy um, as far as filling the holes that I have. We mentioned the swim program on a recent show of ours within the last week or two, I think. 
and that you have your first two letter of intent signees, including one young lady local to us here in Rochester. And now I understand that you coached her at Spencerport High School. Can you take a moment and talk about what it means to have her with you at Roberts and sort of maybe introduce us to the Red Hawks swim team? I mean, is there someone there that perhaps you're leaning on heavily to get the program off the ground? Is there a prospect you're counting on for big things down the road? Sure. Yeah. One of my first signees was somebody that I've worked with um, over the past few seasons at Spencer Court. And um, I'm pretty excited to have somebody that, that knows me and my training and um, how I develop programs. Um, I think that she'll be integral in the, uh, the building and the foundation of the program um, because she has entrusted me previously in reaching some of her biggest goals. And I think um, that all success starts with um, commitment and trust. And so having her on the pool deck at Roberts is going to be great for the other athletes to see. Um, and as far as the number, uh, having an athlete specifically to, to lean on heavily to get the program off the road, um, I'm a big believer that um, there's never just one athlete that makes the team. Um, and actually, if you did even had an athlete that won every event at the meet, you still wouldn't, lose, wouldn't win that meet. And so I'm pretty excited. I have 18 athletes committed for this um, upcoming season. And I think every single one of them is going to be absolutely um, an integral part and very important to the success of the program. I think that there's something to say about a diverse level of ability, of strengths, of weaknesses, and of experiences, and bringing those all together um, to make one big successful team. Now, you said 18 already, and, and I'm unfamiliar, of course, with starting a D2 program from scratch, but that would seem like a pretty significant number out of the gate. Are these local athletes, or have you recruited them from other, other places? That seems like a good number to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I I think it's definitely a great number. Um, I half of them are already on campus, already students, um, and so they those athletes they were very important in getting this program there because they have been on campus and asking and, and um, asking questions and pushing to have a program. Um, the other half are athletes that are incoming, and for the most part. Um, just kind of their final stages of making their decisions um, was where I was involved from a recruiting standpoint because we did announce our team so late um, from a recruiting standpoint, but um, they all are pretty local. We do have a couple athletes that are coming to Roberts and, and swimming from out of state. I think our farthest is from Arizona. Wow. We're yeah. talking with uh, Sarah Smith, head coach of the swim programs at Roberts Wesleyan College. Sarah, last week I was involved in a soccer camp down in the Catskills, and ironically, I was talking to a young teenager there, and she competes in youth swim programs. She said that she was thinking of giving up the sport because she gets bored due to the to the downtime between her events. What would be your advice to that young lady to encourage her to continue with the sport? And by the way, she's going to hear this segment with her parents within the next few days via podcast, I'm sure. <laughs> Um, well, I think for, for anybody involved in the sport of swimming, there's no secret that there can be times that it's very boring and mundane. We pretty much follow a black line back and forth for three hours a day. Um, but there's parts of it that can also be incredibly um, 
invigorating and entertaining. And so uh, I would recommend for this athlete and something I recommend for my own athletes is to utilize that downtime to really reflect, you know, in between races, um, what you can improve, what your goals are, or maybe even talking with some other people on deck. The cool thing about um, swim meets is there's a lot of people there. Um, with a lot of people doing a lot of different things. And so that downtime can be used to make new friendships, um, to meet new people, to learn new things. So um, I would encourage her to continue swimming um, because not only do you find a community within the swimming um, that becomes your own, but you also find a level of commitment and dedication that you don't see in a lot of other aspects of life. Let's talk about you for a few moments. You have been, and of course you still are, involved with a number of swim programs. In addition to now being the head coach at Roberts, what's the one thing you love most about competitive swimming and that attracted you to the sport originally? So what, what definitely attracted me and drew me in is the thrill and the satisfaction as an athlete that you get after finishing maybe a 6 a.m. workout that was really hard or or hitting a goal time you've been working towards for an entire season. Um, there, there's not many other things in life I've experienced that have um, made me feel that way. And so what keeps me in the sport now is helping others get there, sharing with them how much swimming has been such a part of my life um, and forming the communities that I have, the people I've met within the swimming community. And so I, I stay in it because I like to um, to help athletes to to feel that to feel that excitement and that level of accomplishment and to reach their goals. Now, for most casual fans and maybe not necessarily true swim fans, they care about swimming once every four years. That is when the Olympics happen, of course. To build a program like your task with doing at Roberts, how will you, for lack of a better term, sell the sport to fans, to sponsors, and I guess even to potential student-athlete recruits beyond those Olympic years? Um, well, my biggest goal is to, to build a team that fans and supporters and the local community look at and just become absolutely enthralled with. Um, and, and when they see our team out having fun, working hard, building relationships, they want to be a part of it, whether it's watching on the weekends or supporting in a fundraiser or, you know, as a potential student athlete, recruit, you know, going on a recruiting trip and potentially joining the team. Um, so I, I think that um, for those that don't know swimming, they, they can think, oh, well, it's not the Olympics, so it's not that fun to watch. But um, once they're there, the sport and the meets themselves, it can be incredibly exciting. Um, and they're, they're loud and they're fun. And I, it's fun to see the races come down to one or two tenths of a second. And so, um, I think that the team, uh, as they, as they grow, will, will pull in the community, the local community and, and really make a name for swimming in the, the Rochester area. And building this D2 program from scratch, have you, have you felt at times like maybe it's all on you? Of course, you're the one who recruits the student athletes. You coach the team. I'm assuming you're heavily involved in the program's sponsorship funding. Where have you gotten help from with the many things you have to do as a collegiate coach at the D2 level? Um, well, I, I definitely don't feel like it is all on me. I know you just listed off a bunch of things that are on me, but the cool thing I found at Roberts that I have not experienced any other place that I've been so far is 
the the team work and the team atmosphere within athletics. And so when it comes to me kind of learning the ropes as far as just Division II athletics goes and then learning the ropes of Robert, um, I've really leaned on the athletic staff and other coaches, and they've been beyond helpful. Um, I kind of feel like they're my support team when I, if I just don't know or need help with something, there's always someone there. And then as far as the, the swimming aspect of it goes, there's a lot of nuances that are new and different um, from, from age group swimming or high school swimming. And so I do have some, um, some previous coaches that I've swum under that have been great, great assets to me in helping kind of guide the way. Once again, we're talking with Roberts Wesleyan College swim coach Sarah Smith. You're heavily involved in swimming throughout the community. I, I'm guessing you get to talk to lots of young people. How much of your time do you estimate that you think you're talking up Roberts? And, and what is it about the school that you think they would want to consider it for their college experience? Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's definitely a fine line as to who, who I can talk to and when as far as uh, swimming itself goes. But whenever I get the chance, if somebody asks about Roberts or the school or the athletics, I, I definitely talk it up as much as I can because um, even in my short time that I've been on campus and experiencing the uh, the community and the environment there. Um, I truly believe that Roberts is an incredibly great school that provides opportunities that no, not a lot of schools in the area do. So some of the things when I've been talking with potential student athletes um, that, that I think are valuable are the, the school size um, and the location, uh, the fact that we are D2 athletics for any of our athletes coming in, um, and, and also I've, I've taken the chance um, on campus to talk with some students and staff and faculty and, and learn kind of what their goals are and, and what they do at Roberts. And in that, I found that it, I really believe that our staff and faculty are preparing students for life beyond school, not just to get that degree, but to, to be able to handle themselves in, in real-life industry situations. And I think that that is an incredibly valuable skill, and, and um, Robert's offers that. I read an article that said you and your father and a brother, you own a construction company, so clearly you're not afraid of hard work, and I wouldn't think in the construction industry you're easily intimidated. Do you think that background will help you in any way to be successful as a coach? And if so, what skills have you learned through business that you hope to capitalize on? I know you mentioned earlier you you started out with a spreadsheet and kind of had a, strate- a strategic plan right from the get-go. Yep, absolutely. So um, beyond the, the fundamentals from just running a business that tran- they can translate from coaching to running a business to managing a household, beyond that, being an entrepreneur itself, it can be a scary thing. Um, and what it has allowed me to do or, or helped me to do is step right outside of my comfort zone, um, which I know isn't always fun for people, but in entrepreneurship, it's necessary. And so I believe in a way that that's what coaching is. I believe coaching is very similar. You you can't just stay in your little bubble and, and be comfortable with everything and do what you've always done. Um, because you're always going to have different athletes, you're always going to have different personalities, different level of talent, um, and you have to be able to adapt to that. And so I think that that may be the biggest skill that will um, that I'll see kind of 
transpire between what I've been doing and what I'll be doing at Roberts. We're talking on the studio line with Roberts Wesleyan College swim coach Sarah Smith. With all the things you're involved in, Sarah, I'm sure you have a busy schedule. You talk with numerous people, dealing with various people issues. How does your faith play a role in your career and keeping control of all that? Um, I, I think my faith keeps me grounded in uh, in all the different things that I do. Um, what I've found um, as I continue to load my schedule and become busier and busier throughout the past few years, um, that my faith keeps me, allows me time for reflection and uh, on what I've done and what I can do better and what I can con- continue to grow on. And so um, overall, I think it, it keep, kept me grounded, able to reflect, and, and able to keep growing in all of the roles that I hold. If you don't mind my asking, how old were you when you began to take your faith seriously? And, and maybe you can share with us how your faith first became real to you. Sure. Um, well, I was uh, homeschooled and raised in the church, and so um, my faith and um, spirituality was always a big thing in our household growing up. Um, but I, I don't think that my faith truly became my own until I started really experiencing things. Um, I'm thankful every day that my parents raised me to know and understand the ways of the Lord and the the testaments of the Lord. And as I every day continue to have different interactions and conversations and events, they're just constant reminders that make it much more real to me. So I would say um, about six or seven years ago after I graduated college and I was in the industry and, and working and I would, you know, something would happen and I'd go home and say, gosh, how, how can this be? And um, I, you know, would have no idea. And then all of a sudden something else would pop up and it's like, wow, God is in the driver's seat of my life right now. And so, so I think that really experiencing those things for myself is when I really started to take it seriously. How can we pray for you, Sarah? Um, I would say pray for peace for me, for um, the unknown. As um, I know, I said, I am, used to stepping out of my comfort zone it's still never easy um and so the unknown of the upcoming season because everything's going to be a new experience and something i haven't done before and and so the the challenges will be the biggest this year so so peace for that would be really great sarah thanks so much again for joining us i wish you all the best on on the season ahead congratulations on the new position as head coach when's the first event Thank you. Uh, well, we don't begin our season until the middle of October, and um, our meet schedule is not finalized yet. So once we have all of the meets on the schedule, we'll be announcing it, and we'll have it up on our webpage. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you. That's Sarah Smith joining us on the BTG Studio Line, head coach of the swim programs at Roberts Wesleyan College. If you're listening to Beyond the Game program, stick with us. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to Beyond the Game, talking sports from a different point of view. Beyond the Game is listener-supported. You can help by making a one-time gift or perhaps even committing to a monthly pledge amount. And if you own a business, consider advertising during the Beyond the Game program and promote your business to large audiences of both sports fans and people of faith. Please join us as we seek to encourage, equip, and evangelize through Sports Talk Radio. Visit our website at btgprogram.com for more information or make a donation via PayPal Secure Servers. Beyond the Game thanks you for both your financial and prayerful support. Purple Rain, Purple Rain. 
Benson and Barletta taking you through what remains of the hour here on the Beyond the Game program. And since there really isn't much left in the hour, Zach, let's get right into shenanigans. In a recent study of the brains of 111 deceased former football players, all but one were found to have CTE. So truth or shenanigans, concussions will eventually kill the NFL. I think shenanigans, though I think it'll eventually change the NFL a little bit, maybe even weaken it, but it's not going to kill it. Here's why. The guys who play football, they don't care about the growing evidence of how dangerous it is. The, the, you know, they they play anyway, and they still say they would play anyway. Mm-hmm. They're made up differently. They're like firemen, they, you know, guys that run into yeah. burning buildings, policemen. There are people that live for daredevil thrills. Football to them is worth the risk. But the evidence is there, and it's undoubtedly going to change youth sports, which will eventually – result in changes at the highest level, I think. Uh, I, I think the game will be softened, but to some degree with rule changes. I mean, the American culture will probably push back against that, which is why I think the league will be weakened. But uh, no, I don't think it's going to get killed. I say shenanigans as well. I think that, like you said, there will be some changes made. The league hasn't really seemed to care about them too much up to this point. But I think when it gets to a point where it starts to affect the money that's coming in, then they will make some changes. And I'm sure there will be technology with helmets and padding and whatever that they can do. But I agree. I don't think it will kill the league. Number two, Kirk Cousins is overrated and the Redskins are wise to avoid a long-term deal just yet. Oh, yes, I agree. You know, in the NFL, everything starts with a quarterback. I get that. Every team needs a good one. And the Redskins have a good one in Cousins, but I don't think he's he's a top 10 quarterback. I'm not convinced that the Redskins – need to go a la Indianapolis Colts and trap themselves by paying their quarterback so much that they can't put weapons around him like the Colts have done with Andrew Luck. And Cousins is not Andrew Luck. From what I see, look, he's very good. He's probably in that second tier of quarterbacks. His numbers are very similar to that of Carson Palmer's. And Carson Palmer gets killed. You know, every time he throws it in, why is he starting? People just are all over Carson Palmer, but yet Kirk Cousins, they want him to pay. I, I just, no, I, I don't think so. Well, that's good because I say uh, shenanigans. I like him a lot as a quarterback, I think, especially in the environment that the NFL's in right now where there's probably 10 teams that wish desperately they had a quarterback like Kirk Cousins. I think when you have a quarterback that's that good that has taken you to the playoffs, you got to pay him, you got to keep him around. And they finally have given him a lot of talent around him offensively this season, so um, this might be the year that he becomes a top 10 quarterback. I don't ever think anything is all the quarterback's fault, mm-hmm. and I don't think everything, you know, all the credit should go to the quarterback because it takes an offensive line, it takes other players. So mm-hmm. uh, you got to be careful with going too high or too low on them. But in the last five games last year, when the Redskins were in the playoff hunt, Kirk Cousins went away. He threw five touchdown passes. He had just as many interceptions as those games as he did touchdowns. Uh, now, I just, I'm not convinced just yet that they should throw the bank at him. Maybe we should revisit this after the season and see what we think. Well, you might be right. And that's the gamble in it for the Redskins mm-hmm. because maybe he is that quarterback. And, and if he proves it this year, well, then you back up the trip, you back up the Brinks truck for him. I think at this point, he's the future quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers, but we'll see how that goes. 
Number three, Kyrie Irving is being ridiculous in requesting a trade simply because the Cavaliers included his name in trade talks. Why don't you go first? Well, I was getting all ready to say, no, I don't think it was being ridiculous if they were that close to trading him. Maybe he'd like to go someplace with some more security. And then I read today that he's not even answering their phone calls anymore. <laughs> and that yeah. is being ridiculous. So yeah. now I have to say yes. Yeah, it, it, it's a little bit ridiculous, I, I think. But I do find that somewhat humorous. But I, I, I don't think so. I don't. I say shenanigans on that statement. It's, it's not that they included his name. The reports are that they didn't keep him in the loop. They didn't even say, hey, man, look, there may or may not be anything to this, but just so you don't hear it in the press, we're we're talking to people. I, I would think any athlete knows that's part of the territory. Do you think they had an inkling that this is the kind of situation that would result if he were to find out? Maybe that's why they didn't? Well, that's what would have been more motive for me to go to him and say, look, we're just we're just investigating. We're kicking the tires. Your name, you might hear that your name came up. But I think that's just it. He wants to know what's going on. He doesn't want to be left holding the bag whenever, you know, LeBron decides he gets the urge to move somewhere mm-hmm. else. And, and a lot of reports say that at the end of this year, that's what he's going to do, maybe go to the Lakers. I don't think Irving wants to be stuck in Cleveland with nothing around him. Right. So he's trying to control the situation a little bit. And I think that's that's what today's NBA is. The players recruit other players. They set up situations and they help build the team that they're a part of. I don't think he's being completely ridiculous, though I think not taking the phone calls. Yeah, that's kind of childish. But funny. Truth or shenanigans, the U.S. men's national team will get America excited about soccer. I agree. Zach, the other night I watched the game. I had that Gold Cup final with Jamaica on my TV. Now, in fairness, the Yankees weren't on. It's not like Tombstone was on TV somewhere (laughs) that I could have watched that. But with Bruce Arena coaching... You know, there's something different about it. This team is exciting. You feel like they have a chance to make some history. And they they have a kid coming up. I think he's 17 now, playing 17U. Josh Sargent, he's supposed to be the next, the, the, said to maybe be the greatest American player to ever play and, and maybe one of the greatest in the world to ever play. And I think when he gets on the scene here in the next couple of years, I, I do think this – I think America wants to be excited about soccer, but the MLS just can't hold our attention. We like it at the Olympics. We like it at the World Cup. There's just nothing in between to to hold our attention. I think this team could do that. I'm glad you mentioned the Olympics because I want to draw the parallel with that, which is that um, I agree the, the USMNT will get America excited about soccer – and then as soon as it's over, they will return to being completely unexcited, just like in the Olympics. In the Olympics, everybody was buying jerseys and wearing jerseys and waving flags and flags and posting Facebook statuses about it. And like the day after it was over, we went back to not knowing any soccer players' names. They have to have something to keep that team on our television sets, mm-hmm. to keep us interested, to keep us watching, because the MLS, nobody cares. In light of how well Luis Severino has been pitching the Yankees' biggest need is now at first base and not in the rotation. What do you think? I disagree. I say shenanigans. Um, while there is a big need at first base, like a great big huge black hole of production <laughs> at first base, um, the top of the rotation's been good. Uh, Severino's been very good. Michael Pineda wasn't too bad before he went down. CC Sabathia is on a roll right now. But the back of that rotation, especially with Pineda out now, Caleb Smith, you know, raise your hand if you knew who Caleb Smith was before this season. Um, Luis Sessa has not been good. 
I think he's a bullpen guy anyways, but Caleb Smith is not a big-time prospect. He was having a great year at AAA, but you know, so far in his limited time in the majors, he's not been very good. I think if you're a team with legitimate postseason aspirations, you need to get at least a middle-of-the-rotation guy. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Zach. Shenanigans on the statement. Severino's been great. Montgomery been very good. CeCe's battled all year. Tanaka's still a question mark, and Pineda is out. That's not enough. I realize the bullpen's good enough where your starters only have to go five or so, but you do need somebody who's going to take the ball and go that five or so. I, I think you can get by at first base with a with some sort of rotation, Romine, Frazier, Headley, however you, you you can piece it and, and live with it. But you got to have pitching. Everything starts and ends with pitching, and I, I just think they still need another arm in that rotation. Agreed. Truth or shenanigans, it's time to remove the number one pitcher in the game tag from Clayton Kershaw because he just can't stay healthy. Yeah, I agree. Unless, of course, you add he's the number one pitcher in the game when healthy. But honestly, Boston's Chris Sale has remarkably similar numbers to Kershaw. He's been just as dominant, and somehow he's been able to take the ball every fifth day. And and with his frame and with his delivery, I have no idea how that's possible. And even if Kershaw were able to avoid going on the DL, I think it's still fairly debatable if Chris Sale isn't the best in the game currently, though that's that's a heck of a debate. Kershaw, Sale. Yeah, uh, I'd be extremely happy to have either of those on the Exactly Yankees. right. You're right about Chris Sale. He looks like he's about the same weight as my one-year-old when he's fully dressed. I kind of expect his arm to just snap <laughs> off and hurdle towards the plate on every pitch, but he's been remarkably good. and So durable, too. Yeah, uh, unbelievably so. I, I still say, um, I say shenanigans. I think Clayton Kershaw still is clearly the best pitcher in the game. Um, but I think the Dodgers need to do a better job of managing him. I think he's shown that you know his back is bulky and it will flare up from time to time. Maybe don't let him pitch so deep into games. Maybe build in a few off days for him um, to try and keep him healthy for a full season. I, a full season of Clayton Kershaw is a beautiful thing. I agree. Adrian Beltre deserved his ejection for moving the on-deck circle. I'm season. interested to hear what you think. No! He's Adrian Beltre. He does goofy <laughs> stuff like that all the time. He's not trying to show anybody up. He's just he's just Adrian being Adrian. You know, I agree with you, but I, I do think he deserved the ejection because the umpire obviously wasn't having it. And he had just said, get in the circle. Just gave him a warning. And now you're showing up the umpire by dragging the thing. I get it. You're trying to be funny. I mean, in the All-Star game, you had Yadier Molina and Nelson yeah. Cruz all posing with the umpire for a photograph. I realized it was an exhibition game. But look, the umpire, I, why are you picking now to enforce this rule that you never enforce? Beltre's never in the circle. Mm-hmm. Half the guys in the league are never in the circle. Why are you picking on a future Hall of Famer, a guy approaching 3,000 hits. Adrian Beltre is the guy you're going to enforce your rule in. I I think the umpire was nuts. I think he instigated Mm -hmm. the situation. But once he said, hey, man, get in the circle, then you decide to drag the circle, you're asking for trouble. It's like when the policeman says, hey, you can't park here. You see the no parking sign, and then you pull the no parking sign away. You're probably going to get a ticket at that (laughs) point, it'd be my guess. Last but not least, the hype coming out of Houston is meaningful, and Deshaun Watson will be the Texans' starting quarterback. I agree. The other guy is Tom Savage. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that might be all that needs to be said. That's all I'm going to say. The other guy is Tom Savage. And I grant, okay, he's okay. He did a good job, but he wasn't the starter last year. I got to think the 
Texans are counting on Deshaun Watson. I don't think he'll be the starter week one because nobody ever wants to make the rookie the starter week one. And Tom Savage has been in the offense for a while. but I That's mean, the only difference right there. He's familiar with the offense, but if Watson catches up, yeah, give it's going to be Watson. Give Watson another month of standing on the sidelines watching him play and uh, of the coaches watching him play. Deshaun Watson's going to be the starter pretty soon. Romans twelve nineteen says, Never take your own ven- revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. The Bible instructs us to leave vengeance for God to handle. Let God take care of it. But how sweet it is to see a little payback measured after we've been wronged. <laughs> and though it's not exactly payback, it's nice to see a guy get a new opportunity after being done so wrongly. What I like this week is Lucky Whitehead being signed by the New York Jets after being let go by the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys, they did Whitehead wrong, cutting him from the team before they even had all the facts. There were reports that Whitehead had been arrested, but it turned out to be a case of mis- mistaken identity. But because the Cowboys, they're such a high-class organization, big on high-character guys, they let Whitehead go before the situation had been cleared up because they wanted to send a message that they just don't tolerate such things in Big D. Now, make no mistake, the Cowboys are no different than most teams. If you're a marginal player, and certainly Whitehead was that, you're expendable. But if you're a star, well, the nightclub fights, domestic violence, such things become a little easier to look away from if you're going to help the team win. Let's not sugarcoat anything, Whitehead told a Dallas newspaper. I was pretty much being called a liar. Yeah, that's exactly right. Whitehead got a raw deal from the Cowboys, What I like this week is seeing him get a new opportunity with the Jets to prove himself. What would make this even better would be for Whitehead to return a kickoff for a game-winning TD for the Jets against the Cowboys in the Super Bowl. (laughs) Could could happen. What I like this week, Lucky Whitehead signing with the New York Jets. Of course, the downside is now he has to play for the Jets. My you like that this week is the Miami Dolphins. We talked earlier about concussions and CTE. What the Dolphins are doing is they're providing concussion testing for up to 15,000 children coming up soon. They're not only going to test them for concussions, but they're going to find a baseline for them that they can use to check for concussions later in their lives. So props to the Miami Dolphins for taking it seriously and helping children with concussions. You like that? You like that? This has been the Beyond the Game program. I want you to know we could use your help. Please consider partnering with our ministry of sharing the gospel through Sports Talk Radio. Help us bring the gospel message and biblical perspectives applied to sports to listeners throughout the U.S. and around the world. And the Beyond the Game currently sending monthly financial support to a number of missionaries in the sports field. We rely on your contributions to help us continue in that. Plus, help us get on new additional markets. We can air this unique faith-based sports program in those new markets with your help. Visit our website for more information, btgprogram.com. Don't forget to check out Myth and Mysteries podcast, available on iTunes and Google Play. It's good. That's all I need to say. Visit their website, mythandmysteriespod.com. For Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. Lord willing, we're going to be back together again next week, right here at this same time. Be bold and be great this week, everybody. Be bold.